What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. I don't know. Are we caught up to like being the, the most on most, I guess, <laughs> common guest on the British Outdoors podcast or has Hanneman got you beat yet? Hanneman's trying to beat me, but uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> Hanneman's trying to beat me in a lot of ways. We got a, we got an elk bet this year on most inches of elk antler because we had all these elk hounds planned. And right now I am winning with a little five points. So <laughs> yeah. How's that competition going? Cause you guys both had, I mean, he had like four tags and you had three or some crazy thing. I had like, Oh geez. I had, Oh, what did I have? I had two in Idaho, one in Oregon and one in Montana. So I had four. He, I don't know how many he had, but, uh, he hasn't shot an elk yet. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So. Oh, that's brutal. So you're one five point. I guess it's a good thing you put meat in the freezer and got on the board with a five point over Hanneman. That's right. It's all that matters. So, ah, <laughs> uh, well, like I said, Zach Bohe, welcome to the podcast. I mean, you've been on multiple times. Great guests. We've done a ton of podcasts together. Uh, still, one of my most recommended elk podcasts is like I think it was like one of the first ones we did. It was like becoming the ten percent of DIYers, and I think that's a great podcast. But uh, always great to have you on, man. But I was gonna do some some uh late season stuff i know i have a late season tag um this year i guess with montana rifle and yep. you do plenty of kind of late season it seems like you got your kids hunting year-round just about chasing elk so yeah i got a montana tag too i don't know if i'm gonna make it back over there or not uh, i got so. well you better get over there you got some tags to fill we got hanneman to beat here yeah that's right so <laughs> so, so far how's season gone man uh it's been it's been rough <laughs> to be honest um I went to Oregon, um, you know, the first week of archery and I'm sure you know about, you know, the, all the fire danger and, uh, everything that we planned on hunting that we'd researched was pretty much all locked down. And we had <laughs> only permits we had were for that, uh, some of that warehouser property over there. And it was, uh, we only had walking permits. Everybody else had driving permits. And so the only place we could hunt, everybody was driving past us. And so in six days I saw five elk. Um, that was rough, but I I will be back. I got to kill a Roosevelt and then went to Montana. Um, had a great hunt over there. I, I missed a bull. I had so many close calls, but I don't know if I've told you before I'm cursed in Montana. So, uh, that's the only state that always kicks my butt and tons of close calls, but just didn't happen. Um, came back to Idaho and I had, I had a, it was a season of close calls and I ended up shooting a five point, the. 28th of september and i started hunting on august 25th i believe oh wow so it was it was rough um but yeah we uh you know we did that whole elk project with my with my deal shameless plug my hunt diy deal but uh yeah, yeah and um i don't know man i learned a lot about myself I, i've always i've spent my whole life you know really not being selfish and and hunting for 
of course myself, but my hunting partners as well, always, you know, trying to get them elk too and, and spend a lot more time in the color seat than I do the shooter seat. And, uh, this was the one year I was just going to be selfish as and do whatever I wanted. And, uh, to be honest, it, it wasn't all I thought it'd be. It, it uh, left me pretty empty. I mean, cause I wasn't doing it with who I wanted to do it with. So, uh, I learned a lot about myself. We're pretty excited to put the video out, but I learned a lot about myself and what I do and what I don't want to do in the future. So, so what's, I mean, it's just funny. I've gone through the same thing. It's like some years you're like, man, I, I feel like I spent the entire year calling for other people. And then, you know, the next year it seems like you try to hunt solo and try to do your own thing and that backfires. So yeah, I, I've been, been in those exact same shoes. Um, yeah. so, you know, like looking at it next year, you know, what's your thought? Well, you know, and I don't, I like the video thing. Like I've, I've liked doing the video, you know, I've, I've done some episodes with Western Hunter and stuff and I, and I like the video thing. And, and it's not that the guys that we had filmed for us this year weren't good guys. It's just it's majority, tough. the majority of my season was spent with people that I, I don't have relationships with, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and so I don't mind hunting by myself or with a camera guy in the future, but I want to be on hunts with people I want to be on hunts with. I don't want to just, I don't want to just go on hunts just to go on hunts and, and make these videos, you know, I mean, I, I want to make the videos, but I want to do them the way I want to do them. And that's what the people that I love and care about. And so that from now on, that is how it will be from now on, no yeah. matter what. So no, that's, that's a lot. Of, there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, I've talked about this before and you really think about how many elk seasons you have left. I think it's something that's weighed on me too. It's like, man, I want to do hunts with the people I want to do hunts with and not just because it's, you know, logistically works out or whatever. And that's something I've struggled with too. Like, you know, I'd love to have this stuff on film, but it's always tough for me just because I've never, you know, the, never had the right cameraman or the right people or like that, you know, like I just, it's tough for me to, to kind of turn that whole thing into a project when bow hunting at its core is just my time. That's my time. That's what I do. And, you know, it's almost like I don't mind filming rifle hunts more so than I do like filming bow hunts just because it's like, I don't know, bow hunting's so personal and like, I feel like it goes by so fast anyway, and I don't want to waste a season ever. I hear you. And that, that relationship, that videographer hunter relationship is a, is a, it's a tough, tough, it's a complex situation and it needs work. It needs to work. And, and I've been lucky in the past with, you know, like I said, with some guys with Western Hunter that it, it just gelled, you know, it worked good. And I'm not saying it like it didn't work. It worked fine this year. I had, uh, I had Zach Kenner film one hunt for me and you know who Zach is. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, He went and filmed in Montana with me. And I mean, that guy's doing some awesome work. He did some awesome video, but when you don't know the guy, beforehand you know it's it's just the relationship's not there that it and you know we're good friends now but mm-hmm. when you're on a hunt with a guy you already know like aaron mills filmed one of my hunts for me um on the western hunter and i was already friends with aaron so it was you know it was great to go you know yeah. but it's just a complex situation and you got to have a guy that matches your hunting style that matches your ambition all that yeah, you know yeah. It's tough to line up. No, so. and even like just going out with hunting partners and stuff like that. You know, I've hunted with some great guys, but it's like it's always that whole first weird, you know, hunt, I guess, so to speak. It's sort of like everything's a little bit different, and it takes a few days, or I guess sometimes the whole the whole time, the whole week, to kind of 
the things the mesh and especially archery elk hunting that's just one of those things like everything's kind of got to meld together you know you go on a rifle hunt late season and it's not as crucial whereas like bow hunting archery everything's got the stars have to align perfectly anyway um and it's just tough yeah i I totally feel you man i've been in those situations and it's fun but uh you know it's like i always hate feeling like man i could have done something different this season or Yep. Feeling like you wasted a single hour, a single day, just can't get it back. Yeah, that's that's why I'm really excited for this next week is because we're all going on this muzzleloader hunt. And it's a, uh, you know, we've got, well, all my hunting partners are going to be there that I hunt with. All, like the guys, like, I was talking to somebody today, I don't remember who it was, and, and uh, well, I was talking to Jade from Full Draw Film Tour. And uh, we're talking, and, and, you know, you go on these hunts. And you miss your family, you know, and you miss your wife, your kids. But also, like, during the season, they're like, I wonder what Virgil's doing. You know, I wonder what my dad's doing. You know, my hunting buddies that I'm usually with, you know. And all those guys are going to be on this hunt next week. And we've all got tags, and it's going to be awesome. So. Yeah, man, those are those are fun hunts, like the ones where you get that group of guys. And so, like, I, you know, I always feel like I'm counter contradicting myself because it's like I like solo hunting bow bow season and doing my thing, or or one other guy, and it's like you mesh. But then you get these late hunts, and um, there's a hunt that a lot of my buddies always go on, and it's like one we've been packing into for years, and usually just it doesn't matter who has a tag. Usually we all go and it's yep. like, you just have this big group of guys. And, um, I was actually at a wedding this last weekend with one of my buddies. And so I'm just going over like, Oh, what, what are you packing in? What do you doing this? And I'm just so jealous that I'm not going to be there this year. Cause it's, they got five tags going in and I'm like, man, this is going to be such an epic hunt. You know, ever it's like five tags of all first bulls, uh, guys with like their first elk. And so they're just, be awesome. you know, basically, five pointer better and it's going down and so like i'm like man it's good. that's gonna be such a good hunt and you feel like you miss that like that's those camaraderie hunts you know i mean like all your buddies you know you've hunted with before and kind of had the whole experience with that's another good one yeah it'll be awesome so so you got that coming up on your muzzleloader hunt huh yeah i leave tomorrow night um after like after work and pack my stuff and then go to camp and we got i actually have i can hunt till the 12th i believe so we're gonna have 12 days and fill some tags it's gonna be fun oh so. how many tags you guys got so i have one my dad has one my brother has one my wife has one and my buddy virgil my buddy ace they all have tags oh so. man you guys got some work ahead of you yeah but hopefully we're <laughs> gonna put the mules to use i hope oh so. you guys going in or are you uh no, just we're taking just, we're, we'll just take the mules just to camp and then if whenever we need them we'll pack them out but we're gonna have a we're gonna have a comfortable camp it's gonna be fun you know how the late season hunts are too you know long oh, yeah. dark at dark at six and daylight at eight but oh fun. yeah oh yeah no dude i'm missing out love it um yeah so we're gonna talk about some late season stuff i get a lot of questions on this um it, it's funny because on the podcast we tend to talk about archery um a lot more than say I want to say rifle, but even muzzleloader, um, so to speak, just because it's, I don't know, usually bow is kind of top of mind. But uh, a lot of these, you know, later seasons, I think there's a lot that people can do to improve. I think most, I feel like most people kind of go out and just hope for the best, like when it comes to rifle hunting or anything late season, and they don't really put the thought and work into it um, like you would say for archery. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot goes into it. And, you know, guys will just go out and they'll focus on the big herds. And it's like, you know, it's just like your, your buddies are going out now. If you're just wanting to shoot a five point, you know, 
a lot of those, like I've been hunting this last week with my daughter. She has a bull tag and her tag actually ends tomorrow, but she's too good of a student to miss school. She will not miss. I've been begging her. She will not miss. <laughs> Unlike me, when I was in school, I would have done anything to miss. But, uh, but you know, we can find lots of bulls and they're with all the herds, you know, because they're real visible. But, you know, finding those big bulls that it, it seems like middle October, the, the, even though there might be a few cows and estrus, then big bulls will pull off and just let those little or smaller bulls, you know, finish the, finish the rut off and the breeding off. And they just kind of go off on their own. And, and that's, it, it's real easy to get caught in the trap on these late season hunts that you're just going to, Oh, there's a whole bunch of elk. I'm just going to focus on it. Well, 99% of the time, there's not going to be a big bull pulling with that herd. Yeah. And so you got to go find them. And that's, that's, that's the tough part. And knowing like this hunt we're going on, these elk are going to be moving. I mean, like you're saying, you're going to be driving tomorrow. You got, we got this storm coming in and it's that time of year, the elk are going to be moving. So you're going to need to know where they're going to be going. You know, so there's a lot of logistics going to it. We're bow hunting the elk. They might move within the area you're hunting, but they might not move 10 miles, which can be the, which could be the case tomorrow where we're going on our elk hunt. Yeah. So. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that huge weather's huge when it comes to these late oh, season yeah. hunts. And that's what, you know, my buddy and I were talking about when he, um, we were talking about, hey, you know, what's the plan? You know, <laughs> I'm literally sitting there, we're, of course, we're at a wedding. Don't tell anyone this, but the whole time at the wedding, we're like, oh, well, what's the snow? What day is the snow coming in? Okay, what's your plan opening day? What's your plan, you know, cl- second day? Just basing this all on weather. Cause he's like, yes, it looks like storms coming in Sunday. So I'm going to go here. And, and he's, I'm like, well, last year, cause I scouted the same thing. I scouted it real hard last year. I was in there a full week before and a lot of things had changed kind of from the year before. And so, you know, we were talking about that. Um, and so that, I mean, that has a lot to do with it too, is like these units where you get to hunt it every year. Is that the, where you're going, are you, are you hunting a place that you've hunted before? Or is this all new oh, country? Yeah. 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 It's, it's an area I'm very familiar with, which is another part that benefit. makes yeah, it makes it real fun. It's a huge benefit. But so, do you yeah. find that a lot of these elk late season are kind of using the same areas, so to speak? Yeah, they they they'll from what I see, they'll usually they like the same places year after year. They kind of got the same movements almost, you know. And and I I mean, like in Idaho, I don't get a tag there all the time, but I spend a lot of time up there, you know, with other people. So, um, but yeah, the elk seem to use. They kind of take the same paths and. Like you said, you got to track the weather, what they're going to do. If, if, like, we were up there this last week and the elk are in the exact same place they were almost during bow season. Yep. But, but you can see a few more are starting to move every day, you know. And I think, I really think when this storm hits this weekend, because it's, it's, I think we're looking at like, uh, by Sunday, like high of 30 lows in the teens, you know, mm-hmm. 10 degrees. I, that's the kind of weather that gets elk moving. You know, do you think it's more temperature based or just a uh, amount of snow based? I, I think it's both. I think they just, it just seems like the animals, at least in the areas of I've encountered, they just kind of know when, Yeah. you know, and I think they, they, the snow starts coming and those temperatures hit, you know, cause they get those. It's amazing to me. Cause, you know, we, we've had 18 inches of snow in September. The elk don't leave. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or if you got 18 inches of snow in November, they'd be like, we are getting the hell out of here. Yeah. You know, so they have to have a sense at some point that, okay, it's time to go. And I don't understand it, but, but it seems like this time of year, they're going to move once that kind of weather hits. So, yeah. And it's weird because I mean, we've seen years where we hunt, it's like, we're, we're basically waiting for them to come and it's not even their winter grounds, but it's, it's that, that transition area between wintering and summer grounds. And sometimes it'll be, 
you know, there's no weather. It's just it, the cold front drops, and all of a sudden we'll start seeing more and more elk. And sometimes, like like you said, this weekend stuff's gonna be moving. Like starting tomorrow, stuff's gonna move. And just even that pre-storm, you see those cows moving. And then once that storm starts hitting, and we've seen that's the. I mean, the majority of the time, it's like as soon as that storm hits and it's getting nasty, you just herds start moving. Yeah, and they don't have a calendar. They don't have a calendar, but it's impressive. Like, they must know that they have to go at a certain time before, so they don't get caught. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It, they're they're pretty amazing animals. I mean, just that they know they got to go, just like they know they have to rut. Yeah, so. exactly. Do you do you think that um, big bulls? You know, I always old timers used to always say like, oh, well, the big bulls won't push till last. But I've also spent a lot of time scouting areas, and I know these bulls weren't in there in the summer so i found big bulls that have appeared and i don't, I can't prove it but appear to have moved before most of the herds it's like as soon as they were done rutting they 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 pieced out to kind of that transition ground um just because i know those bulls weren't there during bow season and yet they'd be there before anyone else like late october time frames i think part of that might just be seeking solitude yeah you know i've always thought like you see, because I'm with you, you see them in the damnedest places. You know, these elk, all of a sudden, you know, you'll be seeing, like, I'm talking, like, the big herds, you know, like, we saw 150 head last weekend, there wasn't a big bull in the herd. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see, you know, four or five bulls by themselves, and it's usually the bigger bulls by themselves, and they'll be, like you said, there's really no rhyme or reason. A lot of times, though, I have seen that they'll pull up into the nastier pockets where, like, I've seen them, like, I wouldn't think there would be elk there, and there's four or five bulls up on some windswept ridge and just biding their time waiting to get out of there. But uh, Oh, and you can just watch behavior. and You can tell they're in that winter, I guess, you know, feeding. They're just feeding, just feeding a lot. Not moving fast. They're just kind of yep. chilling out all day long, just trying. But, I mean, they're they're depleted. They've had a long fall, you know. So mm-hmm. they're, like a, they're like a college boy after first semester, I guess. <laughs> That's an awesome analogy. Uh, so when it comes to uh, like finding big bulls, you kind of touched on you know whether you're looking for numbers of elk or you're looking for big bulls. And I think a lot of guys kind of get wrapped up in this and trying to figure out you know what they're looking for. Um, yep. And there's contradicting advice and also contradicting animal behavior because every time you say that there's never a big bull with big herds, you'll see one, and you know so it's kind of hard to put like a an unfinite answer to it but you know what's your thought on kind of locating big bulls locating number of elk and just things like that from basically that mid let's just say mid october to mid november time frame and that's a big time frame but um essentially you know what i mean yeah i mean like you said there always is a chance to see that big bull um but you know like i said my daughter had a hunt the whole month of october and uh Yesterday was her last day hunting, and we she passed up over – she's 13, mind you, a couple of days ago. She passed up over 40 bulls. Wow. And um, waiting for the – because she's already shot two really nice bulls, and she kind of wanted to find – she decided she wanted to kill that next level, you know. And so um, she did miss like a 340 bull on like the 7th of October or something, just shot right over his back. But uh, we, for the most part – We've that bull is with cows, but we've seen hundreds of cows, probably a hundred bulls, probably 60, 70, I don't know, 80, 100 bulls. And uh, for the most part, since the middle of October, we haven't seen a big bull with a herd. Mm. They've all been off on their own, all of them. And so, I mean, they're not far away, they're within some of them are even the same drainage, but 
the the bulls right now with the herds that we've seen are all the you know the 266 points they're that they're it just seems like they're just like okay you can have them i'm done with them you can finish this off yeah so i don't know i just try to find those little pockets you know in in the area where the elk are at but i look in those you know it seems like they you've seen them like you're talking about it was pulling to these nasty rocky you know pockets and i think it's solitude i think they're just they're sick of the other elk they're sick of the hunters and they just try to pull anywhere they can to get away from people away from the cows and just try to put weight on for the winter no and like you said it's tough because it's in some areas it's not very far like it could all be the same general drainage it's just that like imagine so you have a big drainage and have all these little offshoots now imagine you know you got elk and and when these elk move in sometimes it's just one herd in the drainage but you know a lot of times you'll have five six seven different micro herds almost it's like you have these little sub herds everywhere and in the main drainage and then off the shoot and you know by himself is a big bull that's hanging out and so that's kind of what i also look for too is like okay i i do want elk in the area it's not that I don't want to be anywhere near elk. It's just that I kind of look for those offshoots from where the herd is. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. You can get sidetracked really, you know, because everybody likes watching a herd of elk. You know, you see 30, 40 elk, you want to watch them. And it's like you're saying, even in those same areas, you just need to be, you can keep your eyes on those, but you got to be watching the surrounding areas because those big bulls probably aren't far. They're mm-hmm. probably within, like you said, probably within a mile somewhere. You just got to spot them. Yeah. But I mean, and the flip side of that is that I think you can find bulls, you know, in solitude. There's a lot of areas, say you have areas that don't hold nearly as many elk. There's definitely potential for those big bulls um, and just trying to find them. So when you look for big bulls, are you looking super low elevation, super high elevation? Like where do I even start? If I need to like, I want to get into late season or I have a late season tag, do I start high? Do I start low? Do I... And do I start in wintering grounds or do I start in summering grounds? Like where, what, where do you even start to look? I mean, I'm starting right now with, but like you said, it's so like off the temperatures cause we've had sixties for the last week. Yeah. So, I mean, this year I'm going to be, I mean, come Wednesday, I'm going to be hunting right where I was in archery season. You know, I mean, that's, that's the, you know, I spotted, my, that bull my daughter missed in in like the seventh of October. I found him again on Saturday, and he's like three forty class, you know. And for where I hunt, that's a that's a big big bull, and he's still at eighty five hundred nine thousand feet, which is you know right at almost a timberline. So how far did he go Fr- from where she missed him? He's yeah. only he's within a half mile where she missed him. So he's same but, uh, same spot. Yeah, same spot. But spot uh, purposes. but he. But all the other cows, it's just like we're talking. The other cows are in the adjacent uh, drainages or, you know, he's up on a big knob by himself in a really good spot. It's hard to get to, you know, <laughs> and, and, and he's there for a reason. I mean, yeah. and, and, and so we're going to start up there, but I'm, I'm with you. I think by the time this storm hits, I think we're going to be hunting vastly different areas by the end of this 10 days that we are on Wednesday. Yeah, they're just going to be cruising out of there, and we're going to have to. And it might be a lot of fun if we if we can if we can figure out that path. You know, it might be a lot of fun to be in there. But it, but it also where I hunt, there's also about thirty or forty miles of roadless that they might go through that we might not ever see them again. 
So yeah. it, it's just it's one of those deals. But I think that those bigger bulls from it does have those cases, like you said, they take off first. But from my experience, most years those bigger bulls are going to stay. They're going to stay the longest, and they're going to take off last. I th- I think that's kind of the rule. And then the exception to the rule is be like that sometimes they leave early. But I think you know as a standard principle, I th- you know they've always said, and old timer will always tell you like, oh, the big bulls don't come down until the snow until they're pushing snow with their chest. Yeah, there's some truth to that. And I've you know I've talked to biologists actually, and there's areas that almost zero elk will be, and those there's still bulls that winter in there. I mean, just pushing it with their forehead, dang near. So you know. I, I think that's kind of the the norm is that big bulls are going to stay high as long as they can and then push down, but it depends on area a lot. You know, one of the things I I I ask this question a lot is like, hey, where do I even start? And I think my go to is like I look at like where summer ground would be, and if I can talk to a biologist, even better. But where winter ground would be, okay? So they're going to winter on the river, and they're going to summer up high. Where's that travel corridor? What's the easiest path of resistance? And like, you know, just kind of looking at maps and trying to figure that out. Um, again, when you can hunt an area and you know, like you're going to be up there and you kind of know, okay, the bulls, you know, that big bull's up there and he's probably going to be heading this way. The bulk of the elk, you know, are heading out of these mountains and having to go here. Um, and so I kind of look for those transition areas. I like transition areas that are, secluded like you said those roadless areas because I, f- I feel like a lot of those elk like to hold up for you know basically the month of november even december um it's not like they run from the high country to the low ground because they'll run out of food in the low ground if they eat it all I, I, I that's my theory anyway is they you know they kind of spread that out as much as they can so they don't burn all their food in their winter ground those transition areas i think um like I said, I've told you this before on these podcasts. We probably tell people more than we should, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I think these transitionary transitionaries with elk and mule deer are the most underrated areas. The the place, like you said, that it's real fun to go scout them in the summertime, and it's fun to chase them in the fall, and it's easy to find them in the winter. But there's a big gap in between when we're chasing them in elk season, archery season, or and when we're watching them on the winter range. There's a big gap in there that a lot of our hunting seasons take place, and that's where that's where you need to, I'm with you. That's where we need to start. You know, it's just like, uh, off topic. It's just like a mule deer are all in the high country in September. And we all want to, we can't wait for October rifle dopes. So we can shoot them in the high country. Well, then 18 inches of snow falls in September and everybody's like, where the hell did all the deer go? Well, the deer is still there. You just got to figure out where they are. Cause like you said, they didn't run to the, they didn't run to the wintering grounds. They're yeah. there. And so as a hunter, that's one of the most underrated, I mean, unresearched places is that transition area. And I think once you figure that out, you found the key to killing a lot of these, you know, bigger bucks and bigger bulls. So. And the funny thing is, is that that's the place, that's the ground or the spot that a deer or a bull is going to spend the least amount of time. So the sign appears to be nothing. You know what I mean? Because a, bu- a bull may stay there for two weeks. Yeah. But it just happens to be that two weeks of your season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's like I said, you can go, you know, where you archery hunt at, and there's, it seems like every five feet there's a pile of elk crap because they spend all summer and fall there. But, yeah, but yeah, I, I hear you. You're you're 100 percent right on that. So. so 
what like hypothetically you get up there this weekend, your three forty bull's gone and you can't find elk. What's your go to? I mean, this is kind of area you know, so it's kind of a little bit of a trick question. Um, yeah. But like, what do you do when you can't find elk? They're not where they used to be. So late season, like maybe I'm because I like backpack hunting. I like hunting backcountry and all that. But usually, I'm going to cover country. I I just find that, and either that's you know driving because is we can find a ton of elk driving and glass and a lot, you can drop glass a long ways or drive to those basins, you know, that try to figure out where, cause you can do the research. Like you said, with your biologist, where are they headed? You know, where the elk are, where are they headed? I'm going to go in between those areas and try to figure out where the, cause once they're, once they're gone from where I know they are, mm-hmm. they got, they got to be in the middle there somewhere. So you can just, you know, move, move and hike into those areas and do whatever you can to see into those areas and try to spot those herds elk moving. I mean, it's all you can do is a game of glass in this time of year. You know that. So, yeah, but. yeah. I don't know. Like I, the one thing I do like is that, I mean, you're right. It's hundred percent right. Just it's moving and moving and moving. And it's kind of like you gotta, it's not like mule deer where you glass so much because with elk, you can pretty much throw glass up and know whether they're there or not, um, which suits my ADD very well. That's probably why I'm an elk hunter. <laughs> like, just, oh, keep moving, keep moving. Um, is there any time where you feel like you, you hit an area harder or longer because you just feel like there's a big bull there? Or is there anything you would see? Like, if you were seeing a couple bulls but not a lot of elk, would you hold out a little bit longer for a bigger bull? Yeah, probably not unless I knew there was a bigger bull there. So just you know, keep moving, moving, moving. Like, if I knew that, you know, I know that big bull's there. Um, I gotta get, and I'm not going to this hunt like I'm. We talked about the first of this podcast. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to go into this hunt with like perspective, like why I'm there. I'm going to have a great time with my family. You know, I'm not. Yeah. It's not like I've drawn some amazing tag in the best unit where I have to go kill a monster bull. But I also feel like he's big enough. I had to give him a couple days. You know. Yeah. And so, so I mean. If I was only focused on him, and I guess that depends on your your idea of the hunt, and if I was only focused on that great big bull, I knew he was there, I would definitely spend the time. If I'm just going to be happy to shoot a nice bull, I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna move on and try to spot more elk. Um, yeah. Just just because I feel I don't know. There's strength in I guess in numbers. The more stocks, the better you're going to have, especially this muzzleloader. So oh, it's so true, man. Like if you want to kill a big bull in Montana during rifle season you're you're probably not going to have a chance at very many bulls like you yep. better be looking for the most secluded away from people and almost zero elk you're looking for like one track on an entire mountain to kill a yeah. big bull it's one bull held up yeah so. cuz like otherwise someone else has found them i mean it's just a war zone in montana um, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like there's strength in numbers. Like you said, like you're, you're either going to be hunting where you're going to see, you know, a fair number of elk and have a chance at a decent bull, or you're looking for that monster that's just held up somewhere. And that's, that's a personal deal. You know, like there's some guys like they only want to kill the biggest and the best ever. And I just love hunting elk, man. I mean, I think, you know, that as much as we've talked, <laughs> I, love, I love hunting elk. And if I can find a real, uh, like if I had a really awesome rifle bull tag, it'd be a different story, but it's just like me and bow hunting in Idaho. Like I see a nice six point. I'm going after it. You yeah. know, I see six point Wednesday with my muzzler. I'm going after it. I just want to kill a nice bull, but, yeah. uh, it's just, 
personal preference. If you want to find the biggest, baddest bull, I guess you're going to have to spend a lot of time glass and a lot of time covering ground. So. Yeah. No, there's like this one spot I used to hunt in Montana because there's, you know, basically stories or myths of this bull, you know, and I, like, I took a lot of, I don't know, pride or whatever you want to call it, like interest in like trying to find this bull that was on a mountain with no elk, you know what I mean? And so like I spent, I think two years in a row just like mobbing, mobbing and actually funny story intro to hunting in moose country. I, I came across this track one time and uh, this there's a guy, one of my mentors, he told me, he's like, you know, don't be tracking moose tracks, blah, blah, blah. And I, I come across this track. I'm like, that's not a moose track. It's not big enough, you know? <laughs> and so I start tracking this track. And I track this thing probably a mile or two at least in some nasty country and just following him and followed him and, like, thought for sure it was a bull elk. You know, just a big bull elk on this on a mountain by himself, and sure enough, it ends up being a moose track. And I was like, "Gosh, oh, dang it! <laughs> I thought I found a monster." Shouldn't tell people that story. I know. <laughs> oh, that was years ago, but uh, you know, it was a lot of fun trying to find a bull. I like that uh, way, but um, it's a fun time of year to hunt elk. I mean, it's. I don't know. I like it. I I I never. I used to only think I'd ever want to archery hunt, and it's just a it's just completely different. You know, you're trying to follow find those solitary bulls that are up by themselves and which is, is what I want to kill. Like, I don't know, I guess it's the romance of it. Like you want to find that big herd bull in September right now. I want to find a big bull. that's off by itself in the middle of nowhere. You know, yeah. that's, that's what I want to find. I guess not a big bull. I just want to find a nice bull. that's by itself that I can, you know, shoot him in his element this time of year, but which is, trying to get into winter and survive. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you, um, I was going to talk about gear, but first actually, uh, I was going to ask you, you guys staying in a wall tent or you guys staying in camper? Um, we got both. I'm taking my camper. I'm going to live in style. Oh, man, come on. It's not a elk hunt unless you're in a wall tent. Oh, we got the wall tent. My brother, I'm going to make him stay out there. But, <laughs> but my wife comes up and sees me. She's a lot happier in the camper than she is in a wall tent. Uh, so. That's true. I mean, if you're going to hunt as much as you do, I guess you got to keep the wife happy. I spend plenty of time in a backpack tent and <laughs> all that other stuff. So this time of year, I don't mind. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, so I guess what else would we cover? Um, kind of covered like trying to find elk. Um, kind of what to do when you can't find them. Another thing I was going to ask you is um, when it comes to age classes, do you think a lot of these bulls are hanging out similar age classes as far as you know finding big bulls bachelored up together and finding little bulls bachelored up together? It does seem that way, and I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason to it, but like it seems like you'll see you know the nicer bulls each other. And they'll usually let some little guy hang around, but but it I don't know I I find like right now all them little bulls are still with all the cows. You know? Do you think? And, uh, well, one of the things you can say is like, do you think there's any rhyme or reason to big bulls like in bachelor groups or big bulls by themselves? I don't know. I mean, that's because it's just one of those things like. Like you never know if you'll find a big bull at the herd. Like it seems like you will find – it does seem like you'll find a bunch of raghorns together or a bunch of you know five or six points together. But uh, then once in a while, you'll just see a big smorgasbord. But it does for some reason seem like they kind of hang out with uh, with their own age. I don't know. Like just like me, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of teenagers very much. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they just – maybe they're smarter. Maybe they – you know, maybe that's another thing I thought is like they're they're – they can do the smart thing, and they've always got that one teenager that'll walk out there and get shot, be the stupid one. 
So. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Uh, we we chased a herd that was a couple of years ago. It had like 12 bulls in it. It was kind of a smorgasbord. It had a couple of big bulls in there and all the way down to raghorns and stuff. I don't know. It's uh, But definitely if you see in cows and you see in bulls in there, it's very rare. You see a shooter, you know, a good six with yeah. the cows this late in the season. Yeah. But never say never. I mean, we've we've had bulls bugling no first of November, just screaming oh, their were, heads off. Yeah, you know, they were screaming um, two days ago. We had they were just screaming. So, yeah. and, and like my brother had a bull tag. Oh, probably ten years ago, a November bull tag, and it was November first, and it was up in this. It was just, it wasn't nearly as nice as it is right now. It was snowy and foggy, and it was horrible. And all of a sudden, there's just bulls bugling. I'm like, there's got to be some idiot up here bugling. And and the fog broke and it was a herd of like fifty elk and there was bulls screaming and chasing cows. It was nuts. Really? So, so do you ever pack? Uh, I mean, you gonna pack elk calls with you just in case? I always carry elk calls with me, yeah, if nothing else to stop them. But yeah. I called elk in, in in the end of October. So, I mean, it's it, sometimes you'll find that bull by itself just dinking around during deer season. They'll just come running in, and I think they just want to. They're just like, oh, elk. I want to see them. You know, I don't know. It's crazy. So when it comes so, to like late season stuff, is it, I mean, what's kind of the do's and don'ts of elk calling for you? Uh, just super, super mellow and simple. You know, I just – no excited sounds ever. Just light cow muse, stuff like that. That's the only sounds I'll ever make late season. And like when do you – I mean, in what circumstances? Just basically to stop an elk or is there a time where you, you would use it? Um basically to stop i mean to stop them a lot of times but i'll um i've done it just like um if i have a herd up on a hill like with my daughter's hunts like they'll be kind of feeding in sparse timber um i've called just because they'll a lot of times you know if you're within rifle range they'll step out where where they have not really given a shot they'll step out at least to see and i think a lot of times it's because they're so dang call shy after archery season mm-hmm that they just want to see what the hell's down there. And so they'll, you know, they hear that elk sound, they'll step out and just look down there. And a lot of times they'll give you a shot in those situations. So have you ever, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of rifle situations, you know, you, you see a big bull, maybe he just moves through the gap. You get to where you need to be in your setup on him, but you know, you know, he's in a timber patch. You're just waiting. Would you prefer to just wait him out and hope you get a shot? Or would you try to do some cow calling or what's your thought on, on, on circumstantial right there? depends on how late if it if it's this late usually i will just wait Mm -hmm. because i don't think you have much of a chance calling them out um i shot a big bull with my rifle in um early october that and the reason i can relate this to late season is because he had left the cows it was like the first week of october but he was done he was off by himself with a couple bulls and i'd watched him go up in bed in the morning and he actually broke away from then even was just by himself we got there that evening and it was getting close to dark and we were videoing it for the Western Hunter. And I just started, uh, I just started cow calling. And even though he'd left those cows, I'd got close enough to him that he came, he come running out of the timber and gave me a shot. And so, I don't know. I d- depends on if I think there's any chance, but right now I would more likely just wait for them to come out before I would try to, why well, I yeah. try doing calling. So, yeah, I don't know. It's always like a catch 22 cause it, inherently you'll, you'll wait and you'll never see him again. Um, yeah. You know, I, I see this question pop up a lot and messages and forums and guys talking about, you know, using calls late season. And, um, I mean, yeah, for the most part, I think the, the standard is probably, you know, it's, there's really not much point to it. Um, you're probably safer, a little bit better off to just, 
you know, wait for your shot um, in those circumstances. I think if, you know, if it's a small bull, if you're looking to kill anything, yep. you know, you got a, so a spike tag, like you should always have a cow call in your pocket because you can pretty much full spike any time of the year. And that's yeah. just another situation. Say I was working some timber or something and I had seen a spike, we couldn't get a shot. I may give him a couple soft cow calls. I'm moving up because he's going to look for me. I know he's going to try to pop out. Um, I've called cows and raghorns in, you know, in the end of October. And it's just, like you said, I think they want to be with those herds and and sometimes just get broke off on their own and they, they want to come back to a herd. So, yeah, I don't think I would set up and try to call in spikes. It may work. I mean, it might work, but I think I'm still trying to basically dog herds and, and just stay within shot for, you know, you know, spot and stock essentially is trying to find a herd and, and sneak in, but I may use some soft cow calling to get a spike to look at me or something like that. If I had a spike tag late season. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. We, um, we had a, a couple of years ago we had, Oh, I, that's what it was. We had tagged out on big bulls. And so we went to the neighboring unit. We had a, one of my buddies had a spike tag and we worked down in there and <laughs> bull screaming. And I'm like, there's no way there's a guy down here, but there's also no way there's, that's an elk. And, um, bull was screaming it was literally snowing sideways in a canyon and so i thought for sure it was probably just like a little 250 260 bull and and we ended up getting eyes on that bull and it was a solid 310 315 bull screaming his head off acting like he was running cows i don't know if he was or wasn't um but the, another circumstance where it's like maybe if i had a big bull tag in that situation you know i'd probably hunt it similar to what i would with a bow and i'd you know slip in and maybe do some cow calling might might give you a shot out of the timber um but you know it's always circumstantial right yeah for sure i mean you just i don't know man it's hard to tell what'll work you never know until the situation (laughs) arises and like you said you can sit there and not do nothing and the results will be the same (laughs) yeah so get a shot or you won't but yeah you really kick yourself when that big bull just like slips into the timber and you wait for hours and you never see him again because that's happened to us all Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I think it just boils down to like calls in late season is like maybe it's all about having you know those in the tackle box, having more more uh, lures, you know, yeah. you know things plays in the playbook, so to speak. Um, yeah, sure. but use them at, cautiously. I would say. Yeah. Uh, safe. Yeah. Sounds sound good be, to you. Wouldn't be out there blowing them like it was on September fifteenth. That's for sure. No, somebody might shoot you then. Yeah. No. <laughs> Um, so another question I was going to ask you, you know, and essentially most of late season is, is covering ground spot and stock, you know, it's just covering ground and trying to find bulls. What are you going to do? Say hypothetically, you get socked in. Do you you just wait out the weather or do you try to do some still hunting or what's your, what's your game plan? I'm not a still hunter. I don't do, I don't do good with that. So, um, no bump and run stuff, huh? No, no. I mean, it's, I'm probably going to try to wait out the storm and, and it just depends, you know, that's luckily on a lot of my late seasons. I mean, I'm, I haven't done any se- late seasons where I'm like packed in where I have no means to the outside world if I wanted it, you know, like a radio or something. But, you know, if, if I think it's going to be socked in all day, I'm probably going to head, I'm gonna, probably going to bail or I'm going to s- s- hide up underneath the tree and get all my clothes on and try to stay warm, see if it'll break, you know, but, uh, yeah. I don't know, steel hunting, but I don't hunt a lot of super, like, like, I don't know, like that bull you killed last year with your, your older, you know, that sharps. whatever, your sharps, you know, I mean, that looked like it was in pretty thick timber, right? Um, 
It was open like, country. He just died in timber, but yeah. Does it? Yeah. I guess I just, I just had this thought like, oh, he's probably still hunting this elk, you know, and, but most of the country I hunt's not like, yeah. it's timbered, you know, and if, if I was hunting in timbered country, I would probably still hunt and stuff, but it's just like, you're looking at these vast expanses of country, like, where am I going to still hunt to? They could be anywhere out here, yeah. you know, but if there's tracks, I mean, if, if there's snow and there's tracks, but there's no snow right now. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, you're you're pretty much just fumbling around looking for a needle in a haystack, but yeah. And that's, I mean, it's tough. I think, uh, if, if I was socked in the rest of the season, obviously I'm going to do what I can. And so, yeah. you know, you just try to work the wind and, and do the best you can going super slow. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's kind of tough. It, it depends on the country you're in. So, I mean, it's definitely doable. Um, oh, for sure. Man, I know guys that do it for Roosevelt and kill lots of elk. We just all have our, our thing, you know, it's just like you said, with your ADD, like I just, I, I, I'm getting where I can sit in tree stands more, but it was just never my thing. Like I went to Missouri deer hunting when I was like 2001, I was like 20 years old and like, I would make it like three hours in the morning (laughs) There's where there's guys that'll sit for every day for weeks on end. It's just their thing. And it's just hunting is just never something I've done. And and so it's just not my deal, but it doesn't mean productive is just not my deal so yeah yeah so going into late season stuff what is what is your favorite piece of gear for a late season hunt my favorite piece of gear i've come to the conclusion ever been made and is well i really like down but my super my kuyu super down jack is my favorite piece of gear ever made and down so, jack, it's a pretty solid one i mean i, I never used down until about four or five years ago and like I don't know how I lived without it <laughs> because it used to be, you know, you'd throw on every bit of clothing you had to stay warm throughout the day. Well, now I can just wear my normal camos and, and, and I always have rain gear and down. And that way, like you said, when you do get socked in, you can put your, your down on that keeps you warm, rain gear to cover it up and you can, you can stay out through anything. But yeah, yeah. That down is, is, if you're not using down, you damn well should be, and you should be <laughs> as fast you can to buy some. So. Oh yeah, my down jacket gets a lot of use. It's taken some beatings over the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, you know what my favorite piece of gear for a late season hunt is, and I'm gonna get a lot of crap for this. A torch. Is <laughs> the best fire starter ever. What is? A torch is the best. Oh, fire absolutely! They're like old school guys, like there's an old school guy that hunts with us all the time. He he hates that we use a torch, and it's just like we always sneak it in and throw it in a pack somewhere. And oh man, just poof, I light fires all the time. I never got introduced to the torch until the the Dennis Simmons camp. Nate's Nate's dad. Yeah. Man, we went the first time I hunting with them. We're like we're like rounding up firewood. I think I think it was a. I think this is on a spring bear hunt in Oregon and uh, I like I'm rounding up like, you know, kindling and like fire and like paper and all this stuff. And Dennis is kind of walking out of the tent, like in his typical fashion is just like, you know, just fires this torch up. And he's like, this is walks back in the tent. I don't know. It was like a Clint Eastwood moment. Like he was just the most badass on earth. I was just like, <laughs> this guy has figured out. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Torch. Nothing like a good fire. But you know, like piece of gear, like carrying a carrying your jet boil on the mountain on a late season hunt's pretty awesome. Mm. You know, the, when you get socked, like I never carry one. Like on backpacking, obviously, but on my day hunts, like in September, I never carry one. But it's pretty awesome in November. You can have 
ramen noodles or hot chocolate or chicken broth on the hill when you're socked in I, it it's a game changer to keep you out there so yeah i'll carry a mountain house like i i eat because i never eat a mountain house for lunch when um i'm hunting but yeah. say we pack in like i always bring a bunch of mountain house just because i'll have one i mean and inherently you're going to be out there all day um on a rifle hunt it's just at least i am and it's like the days are a lot shorter, so it's easier. And so I ended up eating my mountain house, you know, in the middle of the day, just as hot and that, and you spend so much freaking time just sitting there glass in a whole Canyon all day. Yeah. And I get bored. So I eat fat kid problems. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing is, uh, we carry that. I don't know if you ever seen any of my pictures. I've always got that thermarest pad with me. Oh yeah. Uh, and that thing, like Matt, my buddy Matt bought one years ago and we like cut it in thirds, you know, so it's like that accordion style. Yeah. And just carry like one of those, like mine's like four or five of those wide, but that's, that's huge too, man. Just, it's like a heater. You sit on that thing or kneel on that thing and, and it's just, it makes everything so much nicer. That, that's a game changer too. than just sitting on the cold ground all the time. It's amazing how much better your day goes if you're not freezing all day long sitting on the cold ground so, so are you glass a spot all day or are you moving kind of throughout the day um it depends like that muzzleloader hunt i did a couple of years ago we we pretty much would hike to that one glassing point and we would glass all day long we were seeing tons of elk and tons of bulls just waiting for them to get in the right spot you know and so a lot of times like this hunt this hunt i'll be but for some reason those elk were in that particular area where I hunted that muzzleloader bull in 2015, those elk are, are on their winter range. But it's a really small unit, and the elk are just like they pull down on their winter range. It's just like you said, just a different area, different – you know, they just act different. Where this hunt, we're going to be covering ground, ground more like we're bow hunting, just covering ground and glassing into pockets and moving and moving and moving. So it just depends on the area, I guess. But. So with a muzzleloader in Idaho, because Idaho muzzleloader is pretty much like Oregon muzzleloader. It's uh, – I'm probably more accurate with a, with a bow and arrow. Um, what's, yeah. <laughs> what's the, what's the secret? Cause you got to get a lot closer. So if you're hunting open country, that can be pretty tough to get close, right? Oh yeah. You're gonna have to use the, you know, the topography that bull I shot in, uh, 2015, we'd actually watch them go in this little timber pocket and bed. And then Nate and I made a big loop around on top, like where we were looking into that pocket and we glassed them all day and we kind of figured that they would go back where they went. So we actually finally spotted them embedded. And then once we spotted them, they got up and moved. We hauled butt back around where they were at and just kind of waited on the ridge and they came back by us. I shot them like 78 yards or something, but yeah, it's a lot of open country. You're just going to have to use the topography because you're not, a lot of them are not going to have trees. You know, we're going to have to, they, they, that, told you where they go from where they bow hunt them at to where they winter is a lot of open sage and so they're going to be you know moving through that she's going to have to use the draws and ravines to get in on them it's going to be tough it's not going to be easy by any means so So is it i mean do you like to try to put stocks on them when they're bedded like you're hunting mule deer or are you trying to just watch them until they move or like i don't know i'm kind of curious so like is it as a matter of watching them for a little while see what he's going to do i mean most of those bulls if they get kind of in their winter ground they're pretty much staying in the same spots are you how, yeah. how long are you watching a bull before you try to put stock on them or does it just depend it just depends like in the like we were watching those bulls this weekend with my daughter um if it would have been me by myself the muzzleloader i i could have covered the ground to get down on them yeah it's just something i'm learning with i've had to slow down with my daughter like i can't just run over there and it's like my bull i shot in september like we spotted him at 
right before dark and my dad's like you're an idiot there's no way you're gonna get close enough and i'm like i think i can you know and i ran a long ways and got in range and shot him but that's probably what i'll do with this muzzleloader hunt is when i see him in the right spot whether they're bedded or they're up moving um i'll just make the move and kind of go on the fly and it kind of works for me i guess i don't know if it's everybody's cup of tea but it works work for me so yeah but yeah i, I don't know with this weather coming in like this last weekend, you know, it was 60 degrees. Those elk were hitting the timber. As soon as that sun hit, they were just like September elk. They were heading for the timber. But if it's a high of 30 this weekend and I spot a bull at daylight, you know, I'm going to have time more than likely because they're, they're going to be out there feeding for quite a while. So then he might even bed down in the sun. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. bed down the sun or, or like you said, you know, it might be sparse timber, more open country, or you can get in close enough to them. And just wait him out for when he gets up to bed or gets up to feed because you know how that late season is. They'll get up and feed periodically throughout the day, and and then you can make your move or you can hopefully be in range to make a shot when it does happen. Yeah, it's just a matter of being in that striking distance. I mean, it's very similar to hunting mule deer almost. I would I would think with a muzzleloader and late season elk. Yeah, yeah, just got to be in the right where you can make the move when the opportunity arises. So. Yeah. So what's your go-to? And I don't know if this is like secret sauce stuff, but I'm always curious. What's your what's your load stuff for your muzzleloader? Or is that too secret? Can't share. No. Um, so in Idaho, as you, I think it's the same as Oregon. We have to use loose powder. Yeah. All lead bullets. Um, you have to have either musket caps or number 11s that has to have the nipple has to be exposed. Um, and so. Everybody around here is where I live, you know, with these deer tags, has been shooting these power belts. Well, power belts are garbage, in my opinion. Like, you shoot animals and they just fall apart. And so, when I drew that bull tag in 2015, I did a ton of research because I didn't want to shoot an elk with this bull that would hardly kill a mule deer. Yeah. You know, and so, I did a ton of research and... Um, one of the things I found is that a lot of the reason these bullets aren't performing is because people are pushing the bullets too fast um, because they don't have a copper jacket to hold them together, which you're, you're a bullet guy. You guess you know this, you know that yeah. copper holds them together. And so from the research, and I'm by no means an expert, but the research I found is that if you can keep that muzzleloader bullet under 1,400 feet per second is where it will perform the best on game. And so I went with a company that I called, called No Excuses out of Utah. And, and it's pretty cool. You order bullets. From the, have you heard of No Excuses bullets? Uh-uh. So he, he casts all these bullets. This guy's from Utah. And he, I, he's an older gentleman. And he makes these bullets. And you go online to order these bullets. And you can't pay online. He sends you an invoice with the bullets. That's awesome. And it says something like, I'm quoting, but it says something like, I figure if you're Patient enough to hunt with a rusty old smoke pole, you're probably pretty good at paying your bills too, or something like that. <laughs> and so he sends your bullets. Anyways, these bullets are the 460 grains, so they're pretty heavy. But um, what we found is like I, I started at like 75 grains, and where we were always shooting 100 grains of triple seven or above, yeah, yeah. Well, I started at 75, and my gun actually settled the best on like 80 grains. And so, and I sighted, I shoot an inline. It's a night bighorn inline. And um, I sighted like four inches high at 100 and then out to 150. You can just aim right at them. And, uh, and, and that's only pushing 80 grains. And it, I mean, they, they shoot good. And um, 
And so a bunch of us have these tags this year and all my buddies, they've kind of ended up with these same bullets and they're all the same thing. They're all settling somewhere between 75 and 85 grains and the bullets are shooting real good. It's just, it, muzzleloading is all about consistency. No matter what you do, it's just all about consistency. So, yeah, no, that's interesting. So these bullets, are they, um, what kind of, uh, fronts on them? There's a flat, uh, well, flat base. Yeah, they're flat, flat point. Yeah, just flat point, and they they got like three wax rings on them, you know, mm-hmm. to seal them off, and um, they shoot really good. We, I mean, we're we're shooting two two three inch groups with them with open sights at 100 yards. So, nice. so you know, yeah. you're like, I mean, a 460, you're virtually coming up to like my sharps type style bullet there, the flat flat point. Uh, yeah. So, are you aiming for the shoulder? Or are you trying to go behind the shoulder? I always shoot behind the shoulder. That's just See, like if I was you and I like don't even I don't probably shouldn't even tell you this. Um but cuz it's going to happen and you'll lose something but like with my 4570 um a real heavy lead bullet um I actually aim f- f- more for the shoulder because a, a heavy lead bullet is designed for penetration. Um that's why they use it for dangerous gamesmen and things like that, but it also basically breaks everything in its way. So when I shoot my sharps, I actually aim for that shoulder. Um so I'm looking for a heart shot cuz I want to push basically shoulder blade and everything just destroy everything on the way in. Um with that that real heavy bullet uh lead like that, it's not going to expand much. Um so you don't get like the the shock that you would with say um you know, a hollow point or any high caliber rifle moving really fast. Cause you're moving so slow. I mean, yeah. at 1400 feet per second, you're not doing much damage that way. That's what's crazy. I shot that bull in, in 2015 and, and Nate, like I was kind of on this little bench and Nate was like right above me with the can. So, you know, this muzzleloader, you don't see nothing when you shoot, but yeah. Nate was kind of a little bit above me. So the camera angle was good. He could see the elk good. And I shot, and it sounded like you took a two-by-four and just smacked a tree when I shot. And I'm like – but he didn't even react. The elk just stood there. And I'm like, did I miss? And Nate's like, I don't know. So I loaded again, pulled up and shot again, you know, and he – and the same thing, just a big old crack, and he didn't take off. And and finally, after that, he just kind of turned and walked over the hill, and we played back the video. And, like, all you could see was the hair, like, part yeah, when I shot, and he he walked up the hill and fell over, and I put both of those right behind the shoulder, seventy eight yards, four hundred sixty eight grain bullets, like inside of a, you know, four or five inch circle, right behind the shoulder, and maybe that's what he said. If I had to put it on the shoulder, I probably would have knew because he probably would have. Well, he would have. I would have buckled. What it, what, what kind of damage did that bullet do behind the shoulder? Just punch holes you know, through the lungs? They just plowed through. You know, they didn't yeah. go all the way through, but they were on the on the off side, but. I mean, it did the job, but I mean, you got me thinking now, honestly, I'm just, I just, I was raised by a, <laughs> you know, a hunting fool and, and you shoot stuff behind the shoulder, you yeah. know? And so that's a hard habit to break. You know, no, I never, it is, it is. And like, it's counterintuitive when you think about it, but, um, when yeah. you shoot those big, heavy slugs like that, like you would for danger, dangerous game and stuff, you're, you're, I mean, it's, uh, I'm surprised it didn't go all the way through 468 grand bullet. That's a heavy bullet. Um, yeah. It's yeah. pretty slow, but I mean, basically, it's going to go right through that shoulder. I mean, that heavy a bullet, it's hard your to sharps stop. All in? What's that? Are your sharps bullets all lead? Yeah. And, and how fast are they going? Uh, they're going a little bit faster, so I'm cruising about 1,800 feet per second with my 430 grains. They are a gas check, so they run like a, a brass base, basically, um, which just helps seal. Um, the lead doesn't yeah. quite seal as well, so if you have a brass, you can run them. They just run a little bit better, a little bit hotter. Huh. Um, but essentially, you know, I shot, like my cow this year, I shot with a 430-grain gas check, 
going almost 1800 feet per second. So you think that, so here, here we are, I'm asking you questions on your, on your podcast. Um, so you think, but that 460 at 1400, you think it drive right to the shoulder blade on an elk? Well, it drove right through both the shoulder blades on that cow huh. and just boom, done right there. Yeah. What do you think shooting straight on? As far as chest shot? Yeah. I would take it. You think it would just drive through, huh? Yeah. And that's where, you know, at 1400 feet per second, I mean, well, with a muzzleloader, I would say under a hundred yards, it'd be fine. I mean, yeah. that bullet is designed a heavy, you know, heavy cast lead bullet. And I don't know what their Brunel is or how hard their lead is, but a heavy cast bullet is designed for penetration. That's why yeah. it's, that's what they use in Africa for damage, dangerous scan, because you basically want to go, you also want to go through any brush that's around there, but you want to go through, you're trying to get the depth. Um, and that's what a, a heavy bullet is designed to do is, is not designed to mushroom. It's designed to basically penetrate. Um, and those big, slow bullets like that, as you know, don't, they don't cause a lot of damage. So you can shoot a bull in the shoulder and it's not going to bloodshot the entire shoulder. So you want to aim for that and kind of knock that bone through. And not only that, it's going to, you know, drop an elk right there because it doesn't have a leg. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You got me thinking. <laughs> do some research, but that's what I would do if I was. And, you know, I still like to aim for that heart. So I'm basically just going to hold tight on that, on the back of the shoulder, aiming for the heart. Um, and, you know, if I wipe out a shoulder, even better. You know, like an off shoulder, I'm basically going to aim for that off shoulder and try to yeah. take a perfect shot would be like sh- edge of the shoulder blade or shoulder blade on inside and then just go right through the opposite side shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome, man. Well, uh, good luck. Excited to see you got uh, still some good hunting left, I guess. Muzzleloader hunt. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm excited about that. And then I've got that extra cow tag. I was talking to you about my dad's 32 inch. Oh, yeah, that's right. I called you the other day. I, you know, I got this tag and like I wasn't even going to hunt it. And I'm like, man, that would be awesome to shoot a elk with that. And so that goes till the end of December. So like, I, I got here again i got this the older i get the romance of all these hunts but i'm gonna go over in december in the deep snow and try to shoot one of my dad's old lever action 32 winchester special so that's that's gonna be pretty cool too that's awesome that's awesome yeah i tell you what man i shot that bull like well even shot a cow this year with the sharps but i love dude the old guns super fun I, i was cloud nine last year and normally like shoot an elk and it wasn't a big six point but i shot a you know good six point I shot with a rifle. I, I'd be stoked, but I was beyond pumped when I shot with sharps and it was just like the whole, everything changed about it. So I highly recommend it. I shot a little buck antelope uh, on Columbus day here in October with my muzzleloader. And, and that's, you know, I've shot plenty of antelope, but I went over there. I only had one day to hunt. I drew this tag and I've been wanting to go really bad, but I just, with my daughter's hunt, you know, it took priority and I only had one day and, I chased every buck over there I saw, and I finally shot one at the end of the day with my muzzleloader. And it's just, it's just what you get out of a hunt, man. It was just the, just getting to do it with a muzzleloader. It was just awesome. It was, it was, it was just made it so much cooler to do something I hadn't done before. So yeah, yeah, dude, it's all fun, man. I love chasing stuff with a muzzleloader. Last year I had that whitetail tag, and I was just. Yeah tromping through a blizzard with a muzzleloader i mean as much of a pain in the butt that is because you're trying to keep everything dry but i had a blast had an absolute blast so bump for you man uh good luck i got i got a montana tag i don't know if i can fill it hopefully i I, you know now that i talk to you your curse probably rubbed off on me yeah well if you find an extra one tie it to a tree i'll come shoot it (laughs) sounds good (laughs) well get that muzzleloader hunt done maybe we'll go hunting in montana 
There you go. Sounds good. <laughs> All righty, buddy. Well, good luck. And, uh, you know, where can guys catch up with your, your video project? When's that going to begin? Or uh, released, I guess. Gonna, we're going to try to put it out here within, hopefully by December. We're kind of, Oh, uh, we're trying to decide how we're going to lay it all out there right now, but we're going to be putting a bunch of like our informational, you know, how to videos starting probably tomorrow. So, oh, really? Yeah. Just, uh, on this hunt DIY, um, on our Facebook or hunt DIY on Instagram or YouTube. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. Yep. So yeah, go subscribe to this YouTube channel. You got some, you got some great videos, some great tips and stuff. That DIY stuff's awesome. Yeah, we're working on it. We're just a uh, poor men trying to make it work, but yeah. it's, it's fun. So, oh, it's the it's time, man. It's so hard. It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, best of luck the rest of the year, man, and I uh, can't wait to see the videos from bow season. Sounds good, man. Hi, right, thanks, man. Alrighty, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. Uh, If you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.